0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the Ratings Radar podcast. Uh, The sun is out. Uh, We have our first steps out of lockdown in the UK, so that's, that's quite pleasant as well. So we're all feeling, uh, well, slightly bullish this morning, I would say. Uh, Joining me as usual, my co-host Angus Foote, uh, and our guests, Nisha Long and Frank Talbot, who always take us through all the data. Nisha will be joining us in a minute to talk about uh, the alternative usage equity long short sector. Uh, but first we're gonna to go to Frank and talk about property, which has been all over the place, I'd say, during uh, during the past year uh, as demands for certain properties have gone up and others have gone the other way. So Frank, what's happening in this uh, the global equities property sector?
1: Yes, yeah, so as you point out, uh... Property has been one of the areas in the global investment universe that's been shown the least love uh, during the pandemic. And for good reason. You know, I'm not talking about domestic house prices here. Uh, certainly in the UK, that's been given massive state support to keep that moving. Um, but the bulk of the property market is in a huge state of flux, you know, from ivory towers in city centres no longer you know deemed necessary and certainly losing a little bit of their sheen and luster. Um, and that's impacted office space, current and future builds. High street retail's also been decimated. That's another key area within these portfolios. So you've got decades of change in working and purchasing habits over the course of a year. I know that statement's a little bit cliche, but within property, it really holds its muster, if that's a phrase. Um, so no hyperbole there. A lot of uncertainty as to where we go from here and how it how it all shapes out as we come out of lockdowns, um, and that's largely been reflected in the numbers um, of the ten broad stock market fina- uh, sectors. Real estate is second only to energy when it comes to returns since the pre-pandemic peak in February. So it's down 4% in dollar terms. So it hasn't been a great place to have your cash. Um, there have been pockets, though, within property that have done pretty well. Healthcare, data centers, warehouses, even sort of self-storage. <clears throat> Apologies. Um, lets as well look like the future here. Uh, at least as we transition back to uh, the workplace, um, property is interesting in that um, what if what if we've over- overblown this transition to a working from home uh, world, you know, and spending our hard earned cash on Amazon rather than than down the high street. You know, there are certainly people who still want to be in the office. You know, I'm not one of them. I'm talking about young people here. Um, but uh, the the Frank, city you're is young. Listen, I'm I barely a millennial. I'm knocking, on my fifth, I'm, I'm knocking on my fifth decade. I don't think that qualifies me as young anymore. Um, but the city's not going to go away. You know, it's been with us since the dawn of civilization, but it's transitioning. And with that come opportunities for active managers to find the areas in which there will be a sort of property boom, as it were, for your shrewd active manager. Um, global property equity is actually quite a large category. Uh, we're tracking 187 managers worldwide in the peer group. Uh, one of the most consistently rated managers here is Cohen and Steers John Che, who has received seventy-five monthly ratings in total, only failing to receive two in the past five years, and has been consistently double A-rated throughout the entire pandemic. So, keeping his cool when others are maybe floundering around.
0: Just to portfolios... be clear, Frank. These yeah. people are investing in equities, listed equities. They're not investing directly in bricks and mortar. Yeah, this
1: this isn't this isn't bricks and mortar. This is. You know companies which own bricks and mortar, so it's the the indirect way in. They should behave the same, but typically don't behave the same in terms of returns during different periods. Um, so uh, John Chase portfolios uh, available everywhere, uh, and despite difficult conditions, turned a profit over the past year with a seven point five percent gain until the end of February. That's on the Kern and Steers Global Real Estate Securities Fund—a mouthful, but uh, a good fund nonetheless. Half the fund is invested in the U.S. Uh, This is broadly in line with where the index is. Uh, There are a lot of REITs in the U.S. market. A big part of the mid-cap space is is real estate investment trusts. Um, Given that it's in the black recently, no surprise the fund is underweight retail. It's underweight offices, um, overweight healthcare. Surprisingly, it's overweight hotels. Uh, That looks like a bit of a recovery play uh, in that market. Biggest position is a 6.3% bet in public storage. This is a US-based storage company. You've had a huge exodus of families out of city centres and into the sticks come, coming to join the likes of me and Angus. Uh, and they've had to park their, their, their goods as they, as they find a suitable location. Um, and um, that's generated strong demand for storage. The next fund I want to flag here is the PGM Global Select Real Estate Securities Fund. It's run by a trio of AA-rated managers, Rick Romano, Kwok Wing Cheong, and Michael Gallagher. Uh, It's posted exactly the same return as the Cohen and Steers Fund this year. Uh, has an even bigger bet on hotels and entertainment, 15.1% of the fund versus just 3% in the index. Significantly underweight offices, 4.3%, plays 11.1% in the index. You get a sense from their very detailed updates that they are trying to make the most of the areas that have been unduly sold off. And as the global outlook improves, uh, enables them to pick and choose the areas uh, that, that might recover differently. I mean, that's they've got a totally global reach, these funds. So they're not limited to just investing in Germany, which might have a totally different recovery and a totally different change of working life. Uh, I'm thinking about office space here. They're They're able to really select the... The parts and of the world that 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 perhaps are different different to one another. Um, you know, they've acknowledged for the, for instance that the UK's been hit harder, uh, but its vaccine rollout has been better, so presenting better opportunities as we we come out of that, and they're positioning for that.
0: Yeah, I think I think property is absolutely fascinating. Uh, you know, there are so many different sectors, and they're all behaving differently. As you say, retail to hotels, offices to warehouses. Uh, and they're all sort of sliding up and down without any uh any sort of real correlation to each other i suppose uh and one of the things that i've been looking at well looking at but noticing is you know the office apocalypse if that's what's going to be hasn't really started yet there are so many companies now sitting on empty space and they're going to try and relet those in the in the sort of gray market and you know they will want to get any price for it so That could bring the sort of the values in the in the in the primary retail uh, primary office market down even further.
1: There are definitely risks here. You know, you could look at maybe a slice of a property investment as a diversifier, but the uncertainty is pretty huge, and uh, the recovery from the bottom is lower than any other sector. It wasn't sold off quite as aggressively as energy, but people are wary because we just don't know. It's not as clear cut, say airlines and tourism you can see that there are going to be people there's demand for that but in this space it's difficult to pick who the winners and losers are going to be
0: yeah i think it's going to be a year or so at least until we unwind who's going to go back to the office how many are going to go back to the office you know as someone said if, you, if we're only going to go back three days a week instead of five that's 40 percent off sales at Presse manger for instance at the ones in the in the center of london uh and its behaviour like that, we 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 just don't know. Angus, any thoughts from your selector angle? Yeah, a couple of thoughts actually. I mean, firstly, to to Frank's
2: points about you know analysing manager performance, it does seem at the moment to have been a, a that divergence between people that were into logistics early, which is that you know that part of the universe has done well, and people that were into Office space, which obviously at the moment isn't looking so great, but I, I, I totally agree with Richard. I think it's going to take time before the, the sort of the, the fallout and all that is clear. But one thing that is happening, more and more, we're hearing from the fund selector side uh, about, uh, or, or, or we're seeing interest in what they call real assets, private markets, these kind of less liquid things that traditionally have been hard to get into, and property in its in its direct form, uh, obviously, is one of those. And so know uh, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes with the asset managers talking to regulators about new structures, longer term funds, funds that, are, that don't require the same levels of liquidity that we've got used to with usage funds and I think that's going to be very interesting in how it affects the property space because um, if, if, this, if this desire to get into private markets and real assets proves to be long term and not just a flash in the pan then uh, we could see quite a lot of Assets going into those types of vehicles
0: hmm. and also away from from unitized open-ended funds which they're having a terrible terrible time absolutely absolutely
2: I mean it really depends a lot on whether they get these long-term fund structures off the ground I mean you have had that LTIFs in Europe for a long time no one's ever really used them most people don't even know they exist but there is a sort of reboot going on at the regulatory level to try and make these things more more sort of market-friendly and, and, and get them more widely used
0: Ooh. Talking about new structures, Alternative USITs were once new structures, rebadged hedge funds available to trade on a daily basis. Yeah. And they've had a chequered history, haven't they? Well, they've been going 10 years or so, maybe a bit more. But, uh, you know, is now their time, Nisha? Or tell, tell us more.
3: Well, with this Alternative usage sector, I have to say, it's one of the fun sectors to work on, on an analysis point of view, but it's hard work. Um, and I say that because the dispersion of returns since I've been working on them is huge in any particular sector, especially in the long, short sector, which we're looking at today. Um, but this is where due diligence is key. And I think this is where um, fund selectors' skills really come in. Now, you pick the right alternative use it, manager, you're raking it in. If you choose the wrong one, the drawdowns can be humongous. So you have to watch out. And the reason I'm saying it, this is over the past year, in the long, short Equity sector. The best fund in the sector returns sixty-three percent in euro terms, um, with standard deviations of fourteen and a drawdown of two percent, which is great for you know the past year. And I'll come back to this fund in a minute and I'll name it. But I just wanted to mention that the second best fund in the sector returns sixty percent, and you may say that's good because it's just three percent of the best performer. But if you check out the fund standard deviation, it is huge at forty one and a drawdown for the year of nineteen percent. So this fund compared to the best performance not for the faint hearted, and you would have been taken on a roller coaster ride last year. So this is where, you know, analysis and fund selected skills also come in to look at the funds in these sectors. And it's all about taking the right long and short positions I mean, where you think the market is going. Um, and so, the,
0: uh, tell us about yeah. before you go on to the best ones, tell us. Yeah. Tell us a bit about what if you'd chosen the worst one.
3: So if you would chosen the worst one, you, uh, well, I haven't got the figures in front of me, but it's negative returns, but you're looking on the flip side, maybe about 40% down. And some of these other sectors, which you're looking at in global macro, if you're taking macro calls as well, you know, they did lose quite a lot of money and even volatility, which you would have thought in all uses would have raked in the money, which actually didn't, you know, riding on the volatility that we did see last year and into this year. Um, but you are looking at, you know, the flip side, maybe minus 60 in some cases, minus 100. Some of the worst performing funds last year were alt usets which were, you know, would sort have of taken you through the red completely. Um, but in terms of managers, you know, there are a handful. If you've selected the right manager and you know the managers to go to, um, over the past year, um, one manager has really packed a punch, but also is triple A rated in. The old usage space. Um, it's Christopher Hillary, and he manages the Prosper Stars and Stripes Fund. Second guess what he manages. Um, so it's U.S. you know small and mid cap. Um, he's done really well. His um, strategy is proven to help help capital preservation in weak markets, and it does have lower volatility. And this is what these funds were sold to do in the first place. You know, look, you know, give you good returns in a weak market. market Capital preservation, you know, compared to some of the long only out there, but not a lot of done that. Um, but just over the last month, he's returned eight percent, which is really good. And as you know, Frank mentioned before, you know, some of the sectors which were the weakest, you know, if you, which this fund did um, suffer on, was real estate and energy. But returns were best in consumer discretionary and IT, and we know those sectors, you know, have done well over the past year. Um, One thing I do find about these funds, they don't really tell you what their short positions are in their factories or in unless you're talking to the managers directly to find out. Even then they can be a bit cagey about it. So for example, this fund, they were long in the sectors IT and healthcare, but short in industrials and real estate. But that kind of is, you know, moving along on that side as well. But um, you know, they're having their field day at the moment. You know, if you went long on IT and healthcare, you were doing very well. Short in real estate for now, you know, they're doing okay as well. Um, and just one more, man. well, four more managers I want to mention um, just on one strategy. Again, it's US long short equities. Um, it's Dan Chung, Gregory Adams, George Dye and Josh Bennett. They all manage the Alger um, Dynamic Opportunities Fund. Um, they invest in growth companies and they short companies as you'd expect, you know, with fundamentals deteriorating. Um, over the last three years, 71% returns and a drawdown of 13%, which is not huge compared to some of the funds out there. Um, but what I like about Dan Chung is that he first got his alt use rating back in April 2020, you know, when there was a recovery starting and he's held, you know, a rating since then. So he, was, he started off with an A in twenty well April 2020 and he's climbed slowly through the ranks and he's AAA rated now. Um, so that was since July actually and has held it ever since um, so with his fund especially I think it's been a really nice complementary approach to it in addition to portfolios um, as you know you know you'd never go full-on alt uses in a portfolio you're going to have it as you know complementary side um, to it um, but he was actually short in Um, indices, such as the iShares, Russell 2000 growth, mid cap, and also Omega healthcare investors. So, you know, really chose where he was going to go short on this. But overall, net long in healthcare, IT, consumer discretionary, kind of expect that short on market indices and energy. So, you know, those that did bottom last year, he was short in those. But um, yeah, as I said, be careful when you're looking at these alt usage strategies, you know, you can really make a good choice or a bad choice in these.
0: Mm. Angus, have, have these lived up to their very lofty expectations that we first <laughs> saw with all those years ago?
3: Well, if the question
2: is, have they lived up to lofty expectation, expectations, I would say the answer is no. Um, the, um, you, I mean, Niche made a point about capital preservation, which was what a lot of people looked to these things for from the outset. I mean, there, there was a lot of interest Back when these things started launching in, in in large numbers. And of course, one of the challenges, and I think you are alluding to this, Nisha, is that Alt it covers a multitude of different, you know, very different types of strategy. So not only have you got big dispersion within longshore, you've got I mean, longshore equity versus global macro versus event-driven are completely different animals. And so talking about Alt usage as a, as a whole sector is, is, is just a bit of a nonsense, really. But um, what I would say is that the selector community have always been very interested in these types of strategies, partly because there does seem to be the prospect of capital preservation, better capital preservation than you're getting in mainstream funds if you choose the right manager. But also to the point about uh, hard work, the level of due diligence that's involved. Of course, the more due diligence is needed, the greater the need for fund selection skills so the greater the need for fund selectors and the you know the more value the fund selectors can add so there is a bit of a love hate relationship i think between uh, you know fund selectors and the all usage sector in, in general and of course equity long shorts probably the the most significant segment of all usits for the for the selector audience but it, I mean, it, does, it does allow them to add value in a way that's harder perhaps in You know, I don't know if you're choosing global bond funds, the difference between fund A and fund B is is nowhere near as great.
0: But I guess the question is, is it, you know, for the extra return or extra capital preservation they can get, is it worth all that due diligence? I mean, you know, due diligence in the end costs money. You've got to take on extra researchers and extra machinery and stuff. Is it worth it?
2: It's, it's kind of horses for courses, isn't it? It depends who your end clients are. And I think also there is a um, the, the, there is a danger that you kind of fall between two stools. I mean, Frank, I remember you did a piece not so long ago where you analysed the performance of all usage funds against hedge funds in similar sectors. Um, and the conclusion, if I remember rightly, correct me if, it, if this isn't right, the conclusion was broadly that the all usage funds hadn't done anywhere near as well as the hedge funds. But then again, I'm reading this morning headlines about a massive hedge fund blow up that's going to cost some prime brokers billions of dollars. So um, the the level of the the, the sort of the sleep at night factor that you get with a regulated all uses fund uh, probably, uh, probably goes some way towards balancing the weaker returns versus the hedge funds.
1: You typically only hear about the hedge funds which blow up, but because because they're so opaque, because it's so difficult to get any decent data on them. Well, that's, that's true, that's, Frank. That's, but that's I mean, part that's part of
2: a, the reason. Absolutely, that's true. But the fear that that engenders in the market, it probably goes much further than the um, than than the the real risk.
0: Mm, and it was a it was a family wealth fund, but no one will read this, as you say, Angus. They'll just read hedge fund. Hedge funds yeah. are dangerous. And yeah. to be fair, it's, you know, there's so many questions with this story. A was, how did it have so much leverage? And B, how how did the prime brokers
2: Absolutely. have so much
0: value at risk?
2: Absolutely. And I, I mean, I wasn't really sort of getting into the weeds yeah. of that particular story because, it, it, as you say, there are all sorts of complexities there. But it is, it's the headline, isn't it? Hedge funds, costs, bank, X billion. You know, it, it doesn't play well. And you don't want to be the, you, you don't really want to be the, professional investor who has to explain to end clients why you're in something like that i mean career risk is a big factor here isn't it
1: i mean agreeing agreeing with lots of the points that nisha nisha made about you've got to pick the right one uh now you know with where we are in markets things look a little, little tense uh in in all asset classes if inflation comes through what does that do to bond values if it comes through in a, in a big way what does that do to equity markets there's a there's a lot of downsides out there at the moment and, and not not a lot of people saying yeah i think it's i think it goes 50 100 higher from where it is today that that is not a view that's out there in the market and that makes me think it might not be a bad time to be looking around for protection you know and if inflation comes through in earnest that makes cash pretty terrible at the same time yeah. There there's <laughs> There's not a lot of places to hide from inflation. I'm not saying that these all usage managers would be able to do that, given that let's face it, no one's had to manage in an inflationary environment for 40-50 years, which pretty much means that no one working in financial services today has had to deal with inflation on a day-to-day. So I'll leave you with that, little oh, chestnut.
0: I I will leave you with this because I do remember old inflation and you know people are now worrying about three, four percent My pay rise in my first job in 1979 was 23%, because that's what inflation was. And it did nothing but keep pace. And you got into the whole wage cost spiral and stuff like that. So, you know, I feel like Crocodile Dundee. That's not a knife. That's a knife. That's inflation. (laughs) But let's see what happens. Uh, Thank you, Nisha, Angus and Frank, as ever. And we'll see you again very soon.